to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we delve into movies, TV, and other pop culture news. My name is Emmett, and I'm joined today by my co-host Ivan. We'll be discussing The Mandalorian Chapter 14, Season 2, Episode 6, The Tragedy. I think before we hop into the scenes and you know general thoughts, um, we should take a second to you know talk a little bit about Star Wars news and cinema news uh, that went on this week. So first off, um, rest in peace to Dave Pros. Uh, for those who don't know, he brought Vader to life. He was the um, the body actor for for Darth Vader in the original trilogy. Um, it's just sad to see another of the original cast, you know, go this year. Um, we also lost um, the actor who played Chewbacca this year as well. We lost Peter Peter Mayhew. I'm not sure if it was the beginning of this year or like late last year. I feel like 2020 just doesn't exist. It's hard to remember. <laughs> it's been so much, yeah. But yeah, I mean, sad to see it. But you know, a lot of you know love and support on the you know. Twitter community and Instagram community um, for Dave there. So that was nice to see. Yeah, definitely. I think another thing to kind of go on just because, you know, we, you know, our, our, our whole, our whole Jake here is basically to cover pop culture news and anything kind of going on. That's, that's pretty big. I think one thing to really, really touch on this week was the very uh, sudden and surprising announcement from, Warner Brothers for twenty for the twenty twenty one plans and 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 by that I mean apparently their entire movie slate for twenty twenty one is going directly to HBO Max. Yeah, um, I saw this and it's it, it's, it's insane. It's conflicting thought because it's like, oh, this just made my life a lot easier and a lot less expensive. Like now I can get rid of my AMC Stubbs membership. I can just watch these at my own leisure when uh, when movies get dropped into HBO. But then it's also like this is rough for theaters to bounce back from. Yeah, and I feel like I'm I'm a little torn on it too. I feel like out of you know my, out of personal convenience, I love this idea. But then again, like also you know having worked in the industry, knowing a little bit about you know movies and how they operate, it's definitely a big blow um, to the movie theater business in particular because I feel like. That you know, once this is one of those things where, like, opening Pandora's box per se, the minute you open it, and if there's even like a small amount of success from it, you know that you can never close this again. So, even after the pandemic, I'm pretty sure um, a lot of these major studios who now I think pretty much all of them have some sort of avenue to a streaming service are going to be more eager to push this out this way, and you know reap any benefit of it directly versus sharing any profit with the movie theaters. So yeah, interesting yeah. to kind of see what's going to come of it, especially post pandemic. And also that they're not taking the approach that Disney did with Mulan, where it was like, what, 20 bucks or 30 bucks for the first month, if you wanted to rent it as soon as it was released. And then after a month, it was free. They're just going immediately free on HBO. So as long as you have a membership, you can see, any of their new movies and there are blockbuster movies that would do pretty big in, in movie theaters. And don't get me wrong. Like I love going to movie theaters. I mean, I don't think you can beat that experience of the like giant screen, the dark room sharing the, um, like the anticipation of a scene happening with a whole crowd. It, it's electric. You can feel it, but it is also like, I don't feel comfortable going to a movie theater 
this year, probably not next year even. Yeah, and I think that's what it comes down to. I feel like this is just another loss of COVID this year and just kind of the effect that it's having all around. But yeah, you're right. I, I you know, To me, I feel like I'm one of those people, you know, and you, you, you know this about me, but like I'm, I'm going to at least one movie at in, in the movie theaters every every month. Yeah, um, go to the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> we, we saw Spider-Man like three, to, three weeks in a row. It was so good. Um, so no, it is hard to imagine if that becomes the new normal, uh, which is a you know phrase I hate repeating, but it, it would be interesting if that does become the new trend for all movies. And if they have to start like every production studio has to find a platform to choose allegiance to netflix hulu hbo or disney um and then what does that leave like an amc what how do they like morph their product that they offer into something that fits like the culture of the world like are they like home delivered snacks like movie snacks or whatever (laughs) It's going to be hard to to for them to pivot anywhere, especially since they did a lot of like investing in their own business these last couple of years. So they're they're in heavy yeah. debt, and the AMC in particular is in a tough situation right now. But I think that you know one quick little interesting thing there, you know, you mentioned that there's you know Disney took a different approach with Disney Plus and Mulan. I feel like the only reason why they took that route was because they felt a lot more confident in the fact that they were in a more comfortable spot from a subscription perspective i keep we keep hearing those headlines of like hbo max subscribers uh subscriptions are way down versus disney plus uh, netflix and any of the other streaming sites so i'm assuming this is also kind of a win for for warner for at&t i guess in particular to kind of lure more people in to subscribe to that service too i wonder if this is more so led with that mentality versus you know trying to change the way that you're releasing movies yeah, and this is all so new that like Disney had no one else who set the bar for releasing a major blockbuster movie onto a platform directly. So it's not like they could look at someone else who did it and was like, oh, they released it for 10 bucks, we'll do the same. They had to set the bar kind of. But it's very interesting that Warner Brothers has gone completely like a complete 180 from that and said, we see your $30 and we raise you to nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope it works out for them in, in some capacity. And I, I just, you know, whatever happens here on out, I just hope that, um, you know, the industries that are churning right now are able to survive in some capacity and are able to successfully pivot in some way. Cause that's also a lot of jobs that could be potentially lost. Yeah. That would be unfortunate, but, an interesting thing to keep our eye on for sure. Yeah. Um, but with that out of the way, I think uh, we can just hop right into this. And I, I don't. I hope you don't mind. I, I would love to start with general takes on the episode, likes, dislikes, uh, as opposed to going into every scene. Um, yeah. First, I think a dislike that we both had is that this is 32 minutes long, by far the shortest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the the like scales of likes dislikes are tilted towards likes for me because this episode it had I, I'm probably putting into my top two or three um, episodes of all Mandalorian episodes just because 
it did two major things for me. Um, I mean, like, the action was awesome, but aside from that, first, it created, like, the story arc of unpredictable events. You know, like, we both predicted that a Jedi would answer Grogu's call. Um, I mean, we conflicted on who it would be, but it seemed like us and everyone else were leaning towards that. But they did it. They went a totally different direction, bringing Boba back, which we didn't think would happen at all this season. Um, no Jedi responded to the call. Moff Gideon appears. Like They completely went against the grain of how everyone else was reading the writing on the wall. And it felt like that wasn't a, um, a letdown. Like It wasn't like Last Jedi, where everyone came into that with predictions, and everyone felt let down, and the product that they got wasn't enjoyable. This this episode broke the cycle of go to this planet, find this person, get your mission, do the mission for them, and they will give you what you want. But then it turns out they actually don't have what you want, so now you have to go to this other place. Um, it's been that for like the full five episodes that we've had up to this point. Um, and it's 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 good to kind of see it broken out because, like you said, we can't predict anything anymore. It's like, and and I kind of like being in this position. Yeah. Um, it was funny because I think you and I throughout the year were talking about like, hey, where's Mando season two trailer? We hear it's supposed to drop on this day, and it never dropped. And then you yeah. ended up getting it what like a month before the the season dropped. Yeah, but then within that month, we got like that one and then like two more mini ones after that so they've been pretty secretive about what they're giving away and then they only gave us the first four episodes of the season the last two have been where we've been in the dark completely in the dark <laughs> i mean like i can't even predict anything with confidence anymore which i you know i i, I liked it because you know it, it leaves that aura of of mystery but you know in, in terms of me like i feel like this might be one of if not my favorite episodes and i keep saying that every week i feel like but except they keep for not doing themselves yeah <laughs> i, I yeah. feel the same and um yeah and i think the second thing that like made this episode so great for me was that just like you said it built long-term conflict as opposed to being like a sitcom where it builds up a conflict and then you also get the resolution at the same episode and then you get like direction where he which planet he has to head to next which i think is refreshing because it has been where for 13 episodes now it's been here's your problem here's how you like or like you have to get information from somebody and then you have to do like you have to solve something for them before they can give it over to you and it's usually not even the info you wanted yeah it, it there was a lot of like um bleed over from episode to episode in terms of like what he's trying to get at this season i th I think this this episode for me was something of a kind of like a redeeming factor for the django boba fett lineage yeah <laughs> and also you know and i think we, we you know we we've talked about it i know offline for for a little bit but like what's the deal with boba like how you know what what is he actually gonna do this season and I guess just kind of the overall legacy of the character, because Boba's one of those characters that, what did he have, like maybe five or six minutes of screen time in the in the movies? Um, and if, everyone if seems that. to love him. Like, yeah, if that. speaking line. <laughs> but like, turn to the comics or the books, and you had like novels written about this guy. You have comic series written about this guy. And they all like have the most outlandish kind of claims of like, oh, Boba knows how to wield the lightsaber. He hunted down Jedi after Order sixty six. 
Um, he slayed several dragons. He fought against the Empire and for the Empire. Um, a whole bunch of things came out of that expanded lore, but you never actually see any of that on screen. Um, you, get, you get some feature stuff in the Clone Wars series, but not to the point of like seeing his whole story arc. You really just see him like as a kid, kind of. Yeah, Clone Wars, I feel like, humanized him a bit, especially like in those early years, but we never got to see him in his prime. And I feel like now is that time that they're finally giving us interpretation of the character where he kind of is at his prime. He is at the point where, you know, he, he has been the top dog. He has been the go-to bounty hunter, the most feared bounty hunter in the galaxy. Um, and they, they did it this episode. They sold that. Yeah, and he, he's been missing his armor for how long? And he puts it back on and he, he's right back in the swing of things with it. Um, if not better than what we saw in the original movies, but that's kind of the par for the course because we also saw Vader better in like Rogue One than in the movies. But um, no, he I, I loved that arc too. Uh, another reason why I love this episode, and given that it was only thirty minutes, they accomplished a lot. I you know I was telling you this before we started recording, but um, it really felt like this episode. Like I have I have a couple of issues with with the episode. Right, and I'll, I'll I'll get into them in a little bit, but I feel like Boba really worked for me. Yeah. Um, and you got that, even like down to the music, right? Like the minute you finally see him in his armor, and the stormtrooper just kind of turns around to see him, you get that really striking. I don't even know what to call it, but it was like this very brief solo, in this, like intimidating, uh, swelling of of music, and he just like goes berserk on these stormtroopers. <laughs> call that boss music yeah <laughs> yeah th- this was essentially like you know pov you know you're 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 the mando you're ju- you just got through you-, you just hopped on the multiplayer mode of your favorite first person shooter and now your friend logs in who's got like countless hours on there <laughs> and yeah, he just starts to- yeah now you got now you have somebody that's basically carrying the team there so yeah yeah no it was it was awesome to see and i love that they brought him in so early into the episode and i'm glad they tied that after the credits thing from last uh last season the fennec shand uh loose end yeah yeah um i was because that was yeah that was confusing for me because everyone said they could hear boot spurs of the shadow walking up to fennec at the end of that episode and i was like i just don't hear it so i don't think it's boba fett <laughs> and then it got confirmed that it was and i yeah so i i like that they tied that into it um into this episode as well i mean it's a little confusing as to how skilled boba fett is with um surgery but i'll, I'll buy into it with plausible deniability in the star wars canon everyone's a surgeon at basic level basic level well that looked like it was high tech level (laughs) (laughs) well everyone seems to lose a limb in all but the sequel movies right (laughs) that was more than a limb that was her guts (laughs) (laughs) that yeah you know (laughs) her whole abdomen was replaced but sure yeah it's the same as luke losing his hand Given the trends we're seeing, I'm sure there's like a comic series down the road where it's going to go into detail on how he fixed Fennec Shan's insides. It does make you wonder who else could they bring back with that simple of writing, you know? Um, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's certainly a trick you don't want to play too often. 
but it's one that you can play every once in a while. Like, okay, I'll I'll buy into it. Like Boba Fett learned a way to survive in the desert. Someone or something pulled him out of the pit. He made it for that long. Okay, he's a survivor. Maybe he taught Fennec some tricks. Maybe he didn't physically do the surgery. I don't care how it happened, but you can't play that card too often because then it starts becoming like, well, no one dies. And the whole point of Darth Vader coming to an existence was because he was afraid of losing someone to death, and it seems like everyone knows a way of cheating death except for him. Let's talk the gunfight. So Empire's here. Fennec, definitely at the top of the KD leaderboard. <laughs> like, she said to, yeah. to Mando, she... If you recall, I don't miss a shot. And she, like, literally didn't miss a shot. She maybe missed, like, uh, less than a handful. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous. She's she, <laughs> she, She'd be, like, the ultimate, um, sni- you know, sniper team member uh, on any squad. She, she's probably on controller with aim assist, though. She probably is. I mean, let's, let's be real. real. That's way too many <laughs> shots to, to accurately hit at once. But uh, I did, like, when she, like, shoved the rock off the off the cliff and it like rolled over a bunch of stormtroopers it reminded me of um indiana jones which just is like just another callback of like steven spielberg and and um george lucas like throwing little easter eggs into star wars or indiana jones about each other um like indiana jones used to put like they had a hotel called obi-wan um they had like r2d2 and c3po like as hieroglyphs on like one of the tombs and then um in star wars they had like the the skull in solo right like in that throne room oh the crystal skull right yeah they've they've done a lot of easter eggs in each other movies so i don't know if this was that very intentional but it certainly gave off those vibes it was it was it was also kind of cool to see well not cool i guess but (laughs) it was neat to see the um the very, very like deep incompetence of the stormtroopers at work. Yeah, gold <laughs> yeah. is yeah. rolling right at you. You're still shooting at it like it's gonna do anything. It that guy deserved to get crushed. But yeah, even before that too, when the the captain was like flank them to the left, and he's like, "There's too many people over on that side." And he's like, "You just go, you idiot!" And then he immediately dies. <laughs> he's like, uh, "I just commanded that guy. All right, let me let me send more guys after that." <laughs> That 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 fight was very very. I I think it was very well shot. I saw a lot of people on social media complaining about how it looked like a like a fan film of sorts, and I I don't quite see it that way. I think maybe there were too many close ups, um, and you know that's something that you you pointed out offline that you know it it kind of looked maybe a little amateurish just because there might be too many close ups on it. And I agree, maybe like this is one of those scenes where a medium shot or a distant shot was better than having to zoom in too much. Yeah, it's a tough call. Um, for a director, I think, because yeah, if you do start hold, like getting a certain angle on action, like punches and shots or whatever, it does start to look like a fan film because fan films don't have budgets, like high budgets for making their movies. So if they're gonna like throw a punch at a character and make it look like it hit harder than it did they're going to go with the same angle that was chosen for this so i kind of understand that critique but i also think that they were kind of just going for let's get you in the trenches and get this to be a fast-paced fight so that you get the feeling of that same adrenaline that they're having yeah i felt that too i felt like it, it had to do more with like they chose the composition of their shots because of the pacing rather than how it visually looked 
um this was robert rodriguez directing this um this episode which which took me by surprise because i didn't think he was even like in the running to direct anything um so too. <laughs> <laughs> you know d- d- don't knock robert rodriguez man he's 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 really good at what he does though i mean like i, I feel like all his this kids one was a great episode yeah all these kids' movies, uh, I, th- I feel like, kind of dragged his reputation down. But he did um, El Mariachi. He did um, uh, some of the Machete movies. I think it was only one Machete movie, actually. <laughs> but he did, like, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, a couple different westerns. Um, so it kind of felt like some of the shots feel like I I feel like that was probably his idea was to kind of like, just make sure that they look a little bit amateurish. Yeah, I can see that. You could, like, replace the, you know, the cliffside with, like, rooftops in a western and like that sort of fighting style of like take a few shots from this position relocate take a few shots then have uh have boba like hiding in the saloon and then pop out like type of thing um but i that's why i really like this fight because it was like it was so fast-paced at the beginning of the fight, because that's when they're trying to adjust and like get a head count of how many they're against, what like what are the odds type of thing, and then it slows down when it's like Boba chills behind a rock for a little while there, before he starts wielding the um, what's it called the the gatter gatter iffy stick or gaffy stick as Luke called it, um, that Tuscan started, thing, right? Yeah, that um, Luke said like. Called it a gaffy stick in um, A New Hope when they were like analyzing the um, the Jawas ship that was attacked. They're like, oh, there's gaffy sticks and um, Bantha tracks everywhere. This must have been Tusken Raiders. And then Obi Wan was like, no, it's far too precise. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so before he started wielding that, like that's when it started slowing down because then he's like standing and now he's in his element like now he has this plan because he's like signaled to fennec like take shots from here while i go down here like that's when it started slowing down and then it picked back up that's i i loved the pacing of that scene it was really it was handled really well and i feel like the reveal later on of boba in his full armor getup um was very Robert Rodriguez and Mariachi uh, inspired because there's a reveal of the character just at the same angle. It's kind of like the camera's looking kind of over the shoulder from the would-be victim, right? <laughs> looking right. directly at the at the main character. It had that same feel. But yeah, I also a couple things. Boba using Tuscan weapons, really cool to see. Never yeah. thought I'd get to see that stick actually used that efficiently. Right. We never really see that used by the Tuscans. They only like ever celebrate with it. <laughs> <laughs> that and they like wail out whatever it is that they normally like chant out. Yeah. I feel like this um, this whole sequence though was kind of the bulk of the episode because it, it it carried on through, but. What what do you what did you think of the whole seeing rock sequence? I thought Mando was not him, his normal self. He was so panicky, like he didn't. He wanted to get the kid out of there. Three times he tried to break the force force field. Like you just learn your lesson, man. You're not getting in there. Right. I was really shocked that he didn't call out Grogu at all. He just kept saying kid, and it's like you know that he does. He hardly ever responds to kid. But every time you said Grogu, he responds to it. So 
if you're going to have a shot at communicating to him, why wouldn't you just say his name? Well, he was in a deep trance, I guess, at that point, right? Because I feel like... Right, but, like, he, from Mando's perspective, he thinks he's just, like... It's true. Meditating or, like, goofing around or something like that. Like, he doesn't really understand the Force, but... So, like, I don't think saying Grogu would have snapped him out of it. But to him, it's, like, it, it's not his character. Like, he's smarter than that. He definitely did kind of, it, it, and it feels like maybe that was the whole point of the first scene was to kind of tell us that he's kind of let his guard down a little bit, and because he he made a lot of like really um, irrational decisions this episode. Yeah, you know, cause like from from that the the meeting with the initial meeting with Boba Fett and and Fennec, he put puts down his jetpack right, but he had quite a bit of time to like get his jetpack back. Jet he never put it back on this whole episode, and no. that's what cost losing grogu right like he wasn't able to get up there in time he would have definitely reached it with his jetpack um yeah that and also like i guess kind of leaving grogu up there you know by himself because he he could have very well just you know waited i guess for the enemy to come up his way right um, he, he didn't know initially whether boba fett was uh, an enemy or not they had that little confrontation didn't last very long, but like the minute he saw like stormtroopers kind of piling up and everything, maybe take a better approach. If he would have waited like a minute or two, Grogu would have like finished because it seems like right as he was going down, his meditation ended. Yeah, that was unfortunate timing, but it's also, yeah, to your point, like he doesn't owe anything to Fennec or to Boba. Like, great that they're fighting on your side, but you don't have to go down there and take at least a hundred hits of lasers to your armor to protect Fennec. Like you don't owe her that sure. She's supporting you, but you owe more to the child by staying up there and being the last line of defense. Maybe it's the code of honor thing because, and I didn't notice this on my first viewing, but my second viewing, they make that deal of like, as soon as uh, they kind of Fennec takes her, I guess her sights off of the uh, off of Grogu uh, under Boba's orders. Boba tells him like, "Oh, in exchange for the safety of the kid, you'll return me my armor." They um, never agreed to it though. No, no, they did. Mando didn't formally agree to it, but that deal was basically kind of spoken there. So I'm assuming Mando just kind of took it as like, "Oh, well, I'm technically still I made a deal with them," kind of thing. I don't. We've seen him be very, very much a stickler to codes. So that's you know, that's yeah. my only kind of reasoning of like oh th- this is maybe the reason why he went down and and tried to shield Fennec because yeah he was basically just using himself as a shield he is the master of networking so I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna question him on that he that was very cool though the fact that like well not cool <laughs> it's very interesting I guess it's like the fact that this we keep saying it but like the his armor is pure Beskar it can take quite a bit of a hit um. But I feel like this is a lot <laughs> that he's kind of bearing on it. Yeah, you've said that before that like it's wearing down, but I'm under the impression that it, it doesn't. And I think you're confusing the armor he was wearing in the first season that he had to keep repairing. I don't think that was Beskar. I think that was like just steel plated with like electronics in it. So, um, so I'm a little yeah. I, I guess I guess I guess I am kind of confusing it with it because it's like. I know Mandalorian armor is made out of Beskar, but does that mean every Mandalorian's armor is made out of Beskar? Because that first set of armor he had, if it wasn't Beskar, it's shaped like if it was. 
No, I think Sabine might have said offhandedly, like, in Rebels, that you have to earn your armor. And I think the helmet is, like, that's your first bit, because, like, you you have to cover your face, especially in the religion that in the watch. But I think you build your pieces, but it was also, like, you have to acquire the best car, which was extremely rare. So I doubt they were, like, everybody automatically gets a full suit you know that's true that yeah that that's a detail i guess i didn't really pay much attention to because i i i I keep thinking back to clone wars um and especially the last season the siege of mandalore you see the clone troopers kind of go down and you know fight out they're they're fighting against maul's uh section of of the mandalorians and they always they were taking blaster fire from clone troopers and you know going down with the because of that blaster fire so right. now seeing this, I'm like, wait. <laughs> um, either but that I, was I, what that was like 30, 40 years ago, right? So that's like that's when best carbon was probably more available. So more of them were wearing it. That's what I thought too. That's why I'm like, all right, well, is it all? Oh, but you're saying it was being worn down during that fight. Yeah, you, you get what I mean. Like, just been like that might have just been like an energy thing, like stamina. I would have to rewatch it though. Yeah, either that or like. Because the the thing that I was kind of thinking was this is fresh Beskar, like pure Beskar, just freshly forged, right? Versus a Mandalorian who's had that armor for generations and it's just passed on to him. At some point, it's going to lose its integrity. It's possible. Like he had hand-me-down armor at the beginning of this at the in season one. Yeah, it's like all my thrift store clothes. Like every time <laughs> I buy anything really cool, it's like it lasts for just a little bit. Mando bought his outfit secondhand. I mean, hey, you gotta do what you gotta do. Secondhand Baskar steel, it's just not that reliable. <laughs> He's gonna sell his armor after <laughs> and upgrade it. But yeah, so obviously Grogu gets lost to the dark troopers, which were scrambled by Moff Gideon. Um, also, RIP to the Razor Crest. Did not see that coming. I oh thought that was going to be like, oh, we got it upgraded. We got the gun turrets on it. Now it's gone. You, you've you touched on this a couple times, but like the episodes are always maybe like double meanings to things. Um, Title. Is the, is the tragedy the abduction of Grogu or is it the destruction of the Razor Crest? Because I don't know what hits harder for me. Or is it um, actually seeing Boba Fett's up close face? <laughs> that might be the true tragedy. <laughs> Coming soon to Disney Plus. What happened to Boba Fett's eyebrows? Because I really need to know. Honestly, there's also, nothing. All else. those scars. Did he always have those, or was that just because he was like being torn apart by the uh, Sarlacc? I'm assuming it's the Sarlacc. Yeah. I, I, I hope. I hope it's that. And he, you know, who knows? Kinda, honestly, it kind of has that look of like the acid from um, the Crate Dragon. Like how oh, it, yeah. that look on Mando's armor, but like that would have eaten through his skin, so probably not. But yeah, I think you're right. I think the there is double meaning um, of the title within this being the tragedy of like obviously losing Grogu, but also like he's now lost pretty much everything. Like he doesn't have the child, he doesn't have his ship, um, he has to put his trust into Boba. Losing that ship was such a big deal though for him too. Yeah. And for me, I literally just did that group funding thing for that $380 Razor Crest. <laughs> and now I'm like, well, now I have a piece of merch coming next year. That's gone from the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
that's going to be um, <laughs> that's going to have collectible value then. I, I can't remove it from its packaging now. <laughs> <laughs> Buy two, play with one, keep the other sword. It's too late. The crowdfunding ended. <laughs> oh no. But the Dark Troopers, let's talk about them for a little bit. Um, yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong. I think there was like four iterations of Dark Troopers throughout time, and they kind of start out uh, around the time of early Vader and like the Inquisitors' timing, where they're hunting down remaining Jedi. But they the program like started as like um, like for amputees of like clone or not clone, but trooper amputees like making them back into like super soldiers, kind of like a Vader-esque, um, replacing limbs. And then they graduated into like sentry droids. And then they basically just kept tricking them out with more weapons through each phase, right? Yeah, so there's been different phases of them, and they all come from different iterations, video games, books, comics. I don't know the full history of it. Mm-hmm. I do know that there's there have been versions of them that are half human, half so cyborgs basically. Right. Um, there's been versions that are all droid, and then there's versions that get um, just like minor upgrades. They they maybe have human limbs but are not actually fully either human or cyborgs. <laughs> Again, I guess. Right. Um. But they, the one thing that I do know that I do note or that I remember vividly is that they get bulkier as the phases go on. And right, this, they basically just kept adding layers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And th- this is like a very cool mix between like an early, um, uh, an early dark trooper and one of the ones that we'd see late uh, in the later stages. Right. This reminds me, and um, I will embarrassingly admit that. I felt underprepared last week because I hadn't finished Rebels. So I binged the last two seasons this week. <laughs> so I watched a lot of, I put a lot of time into that. Um, but this reminds me of one of the droids that uh, Thrawn, who was mentioned last week's episode with by Ahsoka, um, was training with a droid called the DT series Sentry Droid. Um, it looked exactly like this one. Maybe just like this one has a few modifications made to it. Right. So it does make me think like maybe we will get a Thrawn payoff, which would mean like Ahsoka comes back. Um, or maybe it's just like we're in that time frame of the, of the timeline. Yeah. I think uh, for, for, for the most part, we kind of have a, a good feeling. I think that, you know, we'll, we're going to get more Thrawn, especially as they keep, putting all these like Easter eggs in about the timeline that he um, was very active in back in the old lore. So yeah, I think, I think, I think you're onto something. I think we, we probably will see some of this tied back to Thrawn in some way. I don't know. I still don't know if Thrawn is if maybe like, a, this. Yeah. yeah. Like, is he, is he Moff Gideon's boss? Are there other Moffs out there? Then they're just like kind of dividing their remnants of the, of the empire there between themselves or, yeah, well, Moff is just a rank, right? So, or Moff, like a title? Yeah, Moff is like a military rank, right? Because Tarkin was a Moff. I don't know if he was in the oh, movies. Wait. No, I'm wrong. Okay, hang on. So, I think it, was, it must be like Governor then Moff. I think it. Well, like 
I don't think there's well, I, there is governors in the in Star Wars universe. I think. Right. Yeah. Well, you look that up. I'll keep going. Uh, the thing that interests me in the next scene, though, was Moff Gideon um, interacting with Grogu, and it looks like Grogu is like towing that line of using the dark side of the Force, because I, I mean he was like choking out the stormtroopers and i mean obviously he was trying to like defend himself like an animal in a corner kind of thing but that's definitely something to worry about because that's kind of like what ahsoka was referencing is like those jedi that had love were also very susceptible to the dark side because they were afraid of losing that so grogu loving and like having this relationship with mando kind of early on in his life cycle is not good for him. He's also exponentially better at the force now. Like, and I think it, part of it is because he's starting to come out of a shell. Like you mentioned last, last week. Um, I didn't really see it as him using the dark side. I did think he was choking at least one of them. The, the, right? the stormtrooper on the right, right. Because it kind of seemed that way. Yeah. And I thought maybe Moff was like taking a step back because he was waiting to kind of see if if that's exactly what Grogu was doing. But in the end, he just shoved them up against each other and then back into the wall. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, he didn't kill either of them. Um, that might have either been because he knew to stop or because it was he just ran out of energy. But either way, does this indicate, like the dialogue there indicate that Gideon knows Grogu from earlier because he's like he knew that Grogu would get tired after exerting himself. I think they have some history, possibly, because I feel right. like I don't think we've ever it's has it ever even been alluded that he's seen him use the Force in the series. I don't think it has. Yeah, and wasn't Tarkin a general or something or a commander for the clone? wars mm, Tarkin was yeah he was like a captain I think right so I mean it would make sense that maybe Gideon was as well and like some of these high ranking officials were like we'll just jump aboard the empires yeah so so I uh, well while we were kind of discussing that I just kind of briefly looked up the definition of Moff like what rank is it nice. um, so there's sector governor so they are governors but they have like a it's like a military governor uh, position kind of. so they would outrank governors of individual planets so they'd have a whole section of the galaxy that they would govern over and okay governor is like the planet right moff is like the system and then grand moff is like the galaxy boss <laughs> yeah <laughs> everybody's got a boss except unless right. you're palpatine <laughs> and and so moff gideon was part of the uh isu which is the imperial um the intel the imperial Sector intelligence union, union. yeah <laughs> i don't know i'm making up a <laughs> <laughs> they, they said oh no i think it's is it isu or isb i'm, ISB I'm getting he was I think, isb was i haven't heard isu before okay i think it might have been and, and i'm and i'm caught up to everything that you know other than books <laughs> and those don't count because who reads in this hey <laughs> That's the only way I could read books. <laughs> um, yeah. But, okay, no, so maybe he does have a history with him. Yeah, or he he knows some sort of thing. Like maybe not directly with or him, he's but he's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
But pretty cool that he throws Dr. Pershing's um, name out there, who was the um, the cloner or scientist who appeared in season one, and then also in the holocron message in, what was it, two episodes ago? Um, whatever the Navarro episode was. Um, so now that they got Grogu, they have the donor, which I guess is like our area for making predictions, because... I think the next episode's kind of laid out that they're just going to go after Bill Burr, um, getting him out of prison. So it's not really worth making a short-term prediction. But what do you think the whole M Camp blood donor is for? I, I'm still um, I I don't know. Ultimately, <laughs> I th- obviously I th- <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think that it, you know if if I'm if I need to like you know gun to my head so to speak. <laughs> I feel like the the <laughs> extreme, right? But I feel like well, if I had, if I had to place the show, <laughs> if I had to place my bets, let's just put it that way. If I had to place my yeah. bets on something, it would probably be um, they're working on trying to um, clone a body for Palpatine, and this is their way of tying it to the sequel trilogy. Yeah, I agree. Tying it to the sequel trilogy, I don't think it's cloning palpatine i think if it's related to palpatine i think they're using him as like a life support as like a blood transfusion type of thing like they don't want to mix less pure blood or or like simple blood or whatever you want to call it with palpatine they would want to give him blood that has a high m count so that he remains force strong yeah but because they never really cloned him in like the the Palpatine that we saw in Rise of Skywalker wasn't a clone. That was him. No, he it was a clone. I don't think what. <laughs> yeah, so there's contradicting thing, but like according according to the Star Wars Visual Dictionary for Rise of Skywalker, um, <laughs> yeah, apparently that that is a cloned body. That's why it's so dismembered and disfigured. It's not because this is the body that survived the. The, um, why would he not like? Why would he say like there's ways of surviving that are unnatural? Like, wouldn't that mean that he's he survived, not a so, version of him has? So, so the, the apparently Palpatine was able to transport his essence to a cloned body, um, but he they, they've been trying like they were trying to perfect the body for him, but never could. And the closest thing to it was Snoke. Which didn't become a vessel for him. It was just like they were able to clone a Force user, and it ended up resulting in Snoke. I don't. That, that whole thing is like very confusing, and I'm assuming this is one of the ways that they can like kind of clarify some of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, then if that's true, I mean, I didn't know that. I thought Palpatine at, in Rise of Skywalker was him who survived, and like he just needed like transfusions and like operations or whatever. Um, but if that's a clone version of him, then I think that makes a lot of sense that that would these two things would tie together. Yeah, and and it's either that or like Gideon is trying to make himself force sensitive somehow. He's yeah, he's I don't with I don't, dark saber. I think he's just like more proud that he has it as a trophy type of thing. Yeah, he's like the um, competitive game champion for this year, and he's like flaunting around his. Yeah, (laughs) is one trophy. Uh, But I think what we and probably a lot of people misunderstood 
in the Navarro episode um, was how close together the two scenes of Dr. Pershing's message of we need the high blood count donor back and then the next scene of Moff Gideon standing in front of his like super soldiers like I had thought that the M count blood was for those because I I thought that I didn't think those were robots I thought those were like suits of armor for soldiers so I thought yeah. they were making like super soldiers um, but I think that's just a red herring by the directors to and a choice they made to put those two scenes next to each other next to each other to like kind of misdirect people yeah yeah i i think there 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 definitely was an intentional red herring there yeah i think okay so i think we agree there that it it definitely will try and tie to the emperor we probably won't even learn what it's for it might just be where they like bust him out of like mando bust him out of um like capture before we even find out or something like that Um, yeah and, and it might just be like experiments that don't get fully explained or it could honestly, it could be a 180 where they just explain their evil plan. <laughs> <laughs> Can real quick, what, what did you think of basically Boba pledging allegiance to Mando until they can get the, 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 the kid back? That was a weird one. Cause the deal was never struck. You got your armor back. And you, like Mando didn't expect like he wasn't holding you on the hook, but I think it does show like he is a Mandalorian. He does have a code where like that code of honor that you're talking about. Like if you were willing to bargain and and like they like you said they didn't officially accept terms on that one, but that basically is what they were going to accept. So I think he does owe him or feels like he owe, owes him. Um, so I think it made sense to me, but it's interesting how easily he like basically pledged a very intense project for him and Fennec. Yeah, th- there's a lot in that particular exchange because he, he you know, he brings up his uh, his chain link code. But before I get into that, there there's a quick like brief second shot of Boba looking at Mando as he's picking up that little ball that the, that um, Grogu played, plays with constantly from the rubble of, of the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and he picks up the Beskar seal, but Boba is giving him this look of like, almost like sad, kind of like pity, I guess. Or I Yeah, I, th- I saw that too. Like, man, this guy's got nothing now. Yeah, and I feel like maybe that was like a point where he could, like can relate to the father-son thing based on Django and the loss of his dad. Um, and also his like personal life experience recently of being left for dead, kind of. Right, right, and, and it, maybe it was just like a reminder of it because I feel like the guy must must live a lonely life too, as, as like a bounty hunter. Like nobody was probably looking for him <laughs> this whole time. Yeah. Um, but it it just shows, I guess, like the strength of like a code of honor that they might have. Um, but as soon as he shows him that. Um, chain link or yeah it's, it's called a chain link right so yep. uh he we we finally get the answer to like was is Django and boba fett man are they mandalorian are they not because we've had this whole back and forth um and i think it, this series has kind of cleared up a lot of things like a the the idea of foundlings like mandalorians aren't necessarily from mandalore 
Um, in the comics and expanded lore, Django, Boba's father, was adopted into the culture uh, mm-hmm. by another Mando. All of that got tossed away <laughs> after, um, I think even before the Disney acquisition, honestly, because I feel like they never really took that the books seriously. Um, but it was nice to kind of, I guess, do like a, a circle back to you know, Django was a foundling, so it does legitimize him having that armor and that legitimizes Boba, uh, which is cool because, like, the whole point of Django Fett was to hire this one guy to be cloned as the perfect soldier template to take down the Jedi. And who better to take down Jedi than a well-trained Mandalorian? Yeah. So it definitely tied up some loose ends from Attack of the Clones... And then also from the beginning of the season that we were like, it doesn't have to be an intense history lesson. It can be pretty simple. And I think they proved that like you can do it in like one or two lines um, to just give closure. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, I thought it was really well handled. They didn't get at all. And like they tossed in the reference to the Mandalorian civil war. Um, but they, they, they just didn't, they don't go too far into details that you don't necessarily need to know. And I feel like it just, it continues to show a fairly good way of balancing the fact that you have like fanatics like ourselves watching. And you also have the casual fan out there. That also reminds me of like one other, uh, I guess prediction, but potentially yeah, like potential thread to pay attention to is, you know, Boba's father being part of the Mandalorian Civil War obviously understood what the importance and significance of the Darksaber is, which is something that Mando is missing. All he knows, or he doesn't even know that Moff has it, does he? Moff Gideon? Because he didn't see him cut out. So Mando doesn't even know about it. But the, the significance there is that, like, Boba can teach Mando things, like, about Mandalorian culture, um, also how to fight with a spear. I mean, we just saw him fighting with yeah. the Tuscan weapons. He might be a pretty good mentor for that um, if Mando needs it. But it could also be a bridge between like pulling Bo-Katan back in because now maybe they learn intel that Moff Gideon has a dark saber. It would be interesting to see him like explain the importance of that, and then maybe Mando had remember hearing Bo-Katan say dark saber and like tying the two things together and like pulling them into what is his fight and also their fight too yeah i think he's gonna act as kind of like a a mentor for him um especially on the like getting him prepped for like a fight with moff gideon at some point so i'm pretty sure we'll see some like spear training um he definitely could have used it against his fight with uh sir gregor clegane but um you know can't have it all no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, one quick hey, thing, if we're talking about thing, predictions. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, like, you know, I don't think, you know, you touched on this, but, like, we don't know exactly what, how much of Mando culture Mando knows, other than, like, he does, he obviously thinks that the old way is the only way. Um, so he he probably maybe have some sort of background on the Darksaber, but um, something that kind of, was kind of brought back to to my mind this week. Um, the armorer, we haven't seen her this this uh, this season, but if you recall, she's got little horns at the top of her helmet. 
Mm-hmm. Um, similar to oh. the Maul loyalist Mandalorians had hel- uh, horns on their helmet. I wonder if yeah. she does know a lot of this stuff because she was part of Maul's band of Mandalorians during the Clone Wars. Maybe, but also, like, she only spoke of, like, the Jedi, like, as if it was secondhand knowledge. So if she was a follower of Maul, I feel like she would know Obi-Wan, and she would also know about the Sith. Yeah, but she's also talking to what essentially is, like, a guy that's been brought up in the sect that she fully believes in. So you know how, like, maybe some sect leaders will know more than they let on to, but they just won't really reveal it? Maybe. I also... I can't remember seeing if she escaped that. I thought she went down with the ship kind of thing. No, she 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 definitely didn't. She fended off the attack from the stormtroopers, but then we don't see her at the beginning of this season when we go back to Navarro. She's not in that forge like the the forge that that she was using to to craft new pieces of armor. Right. I assume she survived wave 1, but then wave 2 got her because they sent in more troopers with better weapons. <laughs> Classic survival <laughs> mode. Maybe. Maybe. We, we we don't know. We just... She's MIA at the minute, right. so... She could be out there. Uh, Yeah, I guess so, because other Mandalorians made it out. He just never found them. He found Mandalorians, period, but not his cult. Right. She's probably off trying to get more foundlings from somewhere. <laughs> Possibly. She'll be excited to see the Beskar spear uh, spear <laughs> into something else. But I think that's a pretty good place to end it, uh, unless you have any other ideas or takes. No, I, I think that's it. I really don't have a lot of predictions, just because, like you mentioned earlier, I don't really know where this is going. But um, Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's just Bill Burr next, right? I mean, you can't really go um, anywhere else. Just well, set it up. We have two more episodes, so I don't think it's necessary. I'm not sure if it's going to be fully focused on on Bill Burr's character. I feel like whatever's going to happen, he's he's assembling the armada of folks he's going to need to spring um, Grogu out of the Imperial uh, Imperial's hands. Mm-hmm. So, although after this episode, do you really need anything more than Boba Fett? Because it seems like he could probably no scope his way through Boba Fett and Fennec is like all you need that's a, that's a dream squad yeah you got your anyone else is just getting in the way <laughs> you got half a squad of good characters so now you know you can cycle them out I do feel kind of bad for Cara Dune and Grief Karga though because I feel like Fennec and Boba just kind of replaced them in terms of the same kind I of functions A-listers, yeah they just got replaced and upgraded 100% all right. Well, uh, yeah. Well, next week we'll we'll talk the next episode. Um, also, have some ideas coming down the pipeline about um, the machete order of Clone Wars and Rebel episodes to watch. If you're not caught up on those, and then um, potentially some Wonder Woman content as well coming coming in the next few weeks. Yeah, we're definitely going to start, I guess, uh, diversifying what we kind of talk about here. I feel like we we jumped on to Mando just because it seemed like a very natural thing for for like a a uh, fledgling podcast. So you know, we'll we'll, we'll we're definitely um, going to be looking into other segments of pop culture pretty soon. Yeah. So if you have anything else that you would want to check us check have us check out on or um, 
or think we missed anything in this, you know, feel free to tweet us at BTE Fourth Wall um, or email behind the Fourth Wall podcast at Gmail, fourth number. Um, otherwise, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.